We want to continue with the series that we've been teaching for the last number of weeks on the kingdom of God. And uh, to that end, I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16 and Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 16 tells us of of, uh, Jesus questioning disciples, the disciples as to who they believed that he was. Literally, who do you say that I am? Peter speaks up for the group and says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus commends him because he's, this has been revealed to him by the Father. You know, it's, a, it's an interesting thing to me. If, um, if things went to work the way when Jesus was here on the earth, if they went the way that we thought that they did, Jesus would have had no reason to ask the disciples, Who do you say that I am? By that, I mean, we've got the idea that, that the disciples went around preaching that Jesus was the Son of God. Well, if that were the case, why did he ask him? In fact, when Jesus says, flesh and blood is not revealed as unto you, but my Father which is in heaven, that's an indication that the things that they preached was, was something other than that Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus told them to go and preach that the kingdom of God was near unto them. And to heal the sick and cast out devils and so forth as, uh, as evidence or proof of that. But nevertheless, when the disciples responded, or Peter responds on the disciples' behalf, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, based on this knowledge, beginning in verse 18, I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, the rock being the knowledge that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Upon this rock, this knowledge, I will build my church. Thank God it's his job to build the church. It's too big a job for us, but he can do it. Amen. Upon this knowledge, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I like one translation that says the gates of hell shall not hold out against it. Because that depicts the church on the move and not the devil. Verse 19, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The most accurate and literal translation that I've found on that verse is literally this, or something to this effect. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and you will have authority to bind on earth what is already bound in heaven. And you'll have authority to loose on earth what's already loosed in heaven. The important thing, however, is to realize that heaven's not the one that decides. You are. So much of the church is praying for God to do his thing. And God's saying, I've already done my thing. You do yours. And it's all based on the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Now, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God can uh, most simply be defined, I believe, as the, the realm into which God rules. Well, Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 17, verse 21, that the kingdom of God is within or from within. So it's not talking about a natural realm or a natural kingdom. It's talking about a spiritual kingdom. And Jesus says that there are principles, what he calls keys to this kingdom of heaven, this realm where God rules, that must be mastered. When he says keys to the kingdom of heaven, he's talking about mastering the principles that govern God's kingdom from within, this spiritual kingdom. Now, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus defines the kingdom of God for us in its most simple terms, in his instruction to the disciples about the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10, he says, Thy kingdom come. He's teaching them to pray for the kingdom to come, which means it had not yet come at at the point in time that he's speaking to them. We know that that's different now. The Bible says the kingdom of God has come to us because we've been born again. Jesus has finished the work on the cross. So the kingdom has come. So this prayer that's known as the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 and other places in the gospel or other gospel accounts is not a New Testament prayer. But it was a very significant prayer because it gives us information about what God's plan and purpose is. So he taught the disciples to pray that that kingdom would come, that the kingdom of God would come. Well, what is that? He defines it this way. He says, thy will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. In other words, the kingdom of God is where the will of God is done in your life here on the earth, just like it is in heaven. Now, we've said this over and over again, and forgive me for repeating these things, but 
when I began to see some of this stuff, it was new information to me or a new way of looking at things, not really new information, but a new way of looking at the same things that I've seen before. And that is this. The, the Holy Spirit really brought to my attention that in 30, roughly 35 years of ministry, 30, going on 31 of them here as pastor of the church, nobody's ever asked me about the will of God in heaven. But I've had lots and lots of questions about the will of God here on the earth. Well, since God never changes, what would make us think that his will would be different for us just because we're here on the earth than it will be for us when we get to heaven? He never changes. So therefore, his will has to be the same now as it will be then. God doesn't want you any more sick here on the earth than he wants you sick in heaven. And there's no sickness in heaven. God doesn't want you to have any more trouble with or to be hindered by the devil any more here on the earth than you will be in heaven. Well, you won't have any hindrance in heaven because he won't be there. And that's really the only difference between earth and heaven is here we have an enemy and there we don't. But the will of God is the same, and that is for you to live free and above and over all the work of the devil. And that's the very thing that 1 John 3, verse 8, the last part of the verse says Jesus came to the earth to do. For this purpose was the Son of God manifested, born into the earth literally, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Destroy the works of the devil. Why? For his sake? No, he didn't need it for his sake. But you and I did. So Jesus is giving us these principles that govern the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God so that we can have the will of God here in our life on the earth just like it will be before us when we get to heaven. Jesus reveals those principles to us primarily in the parables. The disciples wondered about that and they questioned him. He said, why are you teaching parables? Why don't you just speak plainly? Why do you leave it for us to figure out? And Jesus said, because I don't want everybody to figure out. I don't want want it to be easy for everybody to figure out. I want it to be for those who commit themselves to it and want it more than anything else. So he gave it to us in parables. He revealed the parables, the meaning of the parables to us. And he revealed to us that the principles that govern the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, or another way to say that is for when the will of God is done in your life here on the earth, just like it is in heaven, those are contrary to these natural laws and natural principles that govern the realm that we're in. We know certain of the principles of the kingdom of God. For example, faith is a principle of the kingdom. And he wants us to master this thing called faith. We see see the kingdom of God principle of faith in evidence with the creation. The Bible says after the earth was became, literally became without form and void, darkness moved upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God hovered above the waters. It says, God said, let there be light. In other words, God spoke words with purpose. Not according to what he saw. Not according to the way the circumstances were. But according to what he desired them to be. I dare say that most of us would have looked at it and said, wow, things are sure in a mess. And man, it's dark out here. But that's not what God does. God, who is a faith God operating according to faith principles, speaks purposeful words according to what he believes and desires, not according to the circumstances of the situation. Well, that takes some mastering because we're influenced by our five physical senses according to how things are. Another principle that governs the kingdom of God is the principle of love. It's a natural tendency to get back at people in the same manner that they got at us. You hit me and I'll hit you. You spit on me and I'll spit on you. But Jesus said to do good to those that hate you. Love your enemies. He said pray for those that despitefully use you and persecute you. That means on purpose. Pray for the people that do you wrong on purpose. Boy, that takes some mastering. That's not our natural tendency, is it? Another principle that governs the kingdom of God is hope. It's so easy and it's such a natural tendency for us to look at our circumstances and the situations that we're in and see the hopelessness that's attached to them. 
But the Bible instructs us as a principle to hope in God, to find our hope in what the Bible says Jesus has already done for us, to turn hopeless situations around and to become hopeful so that God can show himself strong on our behalf. Now, with that in mind, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Maybe I left you there. I'm not sure. Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to back up a little bit and read the whole uh, context of what Jesus is teaching them to pray. Let's back up and start in verse 9. He said, After this manner, therefore, pray you. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now, remember, this is Jesus teaching them to pray a, a prayer under the old covenant, not the prayer, not a prayer of the new covenant, the one that we live under. But notice what he said. After this manner, pray our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Notice the first emphasis he places on after talking about God's holiness is to pray that the will of God would be done in the earth. In other words, to focus first and foremost, to make as a priority, God's will being done in the earth. He goes further and says, give us this day our daily bread. Well, we all need our needs met. But he doesn't put that first. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So he starts off talking about the kingdom of God. And he finishes up talking about the kingdom of God. In the middle there, he talks about our needs being met. He talks about forgiveness. Now let's keep reading a little bit. Because Jesus is going to explain some things and some of the principles surrounding this prayer. He picks it up in verse 14. He says, for or because. If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you yours. Now, since this is an Old Testament prayer, spoken in an Old Testament circumstance, or Old Covenant circumstance, we're going to have to explain some things. Turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm trying to get to verse 32, but I've got to read it in context. So I want to start in verse 20. He says, but you have not so learned Christ. So he's got to be talking to people that are born again. People that have entered into the kingdom of God. You have not so learned Christ. If so be that you have heard him and been taught by him as is the truth, as the truth is in Jesus that you put off concerning the former conversation, that word means manner of life or conduct, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So he's talking about a change in lifestyle. He's talking about mastering the principles. It's a different way of talking about it, a different way of saying it. But he's talking about the same thing. He's talking about mastering the principles of the kingdom of God, this new life in God. He said, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. He's talking about the new birth, the new creation. Wherefore, putting away lying. Isn't it interesting that Christians are still tempted to lie? Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. He's saying when you lie to each other, you're hurting yourself because we're all part of each other. That's a different way of looking at things, huh? Usually we lie to to our advantage, to gain an advantage over someone or to to gain what we think is a step up in their eyes. He says you're really hurting each other. You're hurting yourself and the other person because we belong to each other. We're part of each other. Be angry and sin not. Didn't say not to be angry. He said don't let it lead you into sin. In other words, God's got anger management issues. Be ye angry and sin not. Let, the, let not the sun go down on your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. When you let anger lead you into sin or you hold a grudge, you're giving place to the devil. Well, isn't that what the, the world does? They lose their heads and, and hold grudges. Isn't that the natural way that the world operates? 
But notice the result. It opens the door to the devil in their lives. That's why we want to avoid these things. That's why we have to master the principles of the kingdom of God. Let him that stole steal no more. What a fascinating thing to tell Christian. Quit stealing. Okay. Let him that stole no, steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands that thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needs. Now, folks, I want you to realize the principle. He's, he's not just saying don't steal because stealing is bad. He says change your mindset. Stealing is trying to gain something that somebody else has at their expense. He says quit thinking like that as a part of the being renewed in the spirit of your mind. Think about working so that you have enough to help somebody else, give to somebody else. Now, that's a different way of looking at things for most people. Do you see what he's saying? He's talking about a change in principle. He's talking about mastering certain principles or uh, being conformed to new principles. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying that may minister grace to the hearers. Now, corrupt communication just simply means evil speaking. But it seems that he's talking about hurtful speech because he talks about the contrast of that as being speech that blesses somebody and lifts them up. So he says, quit, what I believe is the best translation of this. He's saying, quit saying things that hurt each other and instead say things that build each other up. Well, that's a new way of looking at life, for most people at least. And it's certainly something we have to master. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Speaking things that tear people down must grieve the Holy Ghost. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Here's the verse we were trying to get to. Remember where we started from Matthew chapter 6 and verse 14 where Jesus said, Forgive so that your Father will forgive you. That's the Old Testament method. If you don't forgive, God won't forgive you. Here's the New Testament alternative. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Notice he does not say forgiving one another so God will forgive you. He says forgiving one another even as God has already forgiven you. So forgiveness under the old covenant was a command and a requirement for you to have your sins forgiven. Under the new covenant, it's a mandate because we have been forgiven. See, under the old covenant, they had to do it as a matter of works because they didn't have the life of God on the inside of them. But as a believer in Christ Jesus, you do. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to be easier for you to forgive than it would have been under the old covenant. You've still got the same flesh to contend with that they did. But it means that we have knowledge and assurance that the, that the capability is within us. Now, turn back with me to Galatians chapter 5. We don't want to build a doctrine on one verse of Scripture or one passage of Scripture. Again, I'm going to have to read some things in context here. So let's start in verse 16. Paul, speaking by the Holy Ghost, said, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In other words, he's talking about kingdom principles versus earthly principles. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit. And the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other. So that you cannot do the things that you would. Now in the King James the word spirit is capitalized. Which always indicates that it's talking about the Holy Spirit. It's not. The Holy Spirit has no trouble with flesh whatsoever. He doesn't have any. It's not the Holy Spirit. That the flesh lusts against. It's your spirit that the flesh is lusting against. It's your spirit that your flesh is contrary to. Can you see that? He's talking about the born again human, the recreated human spirit. So walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Another way of saying that, as we mentioned, is walk in kingdom principles, mastering the kingdom principles. And you'll not fulfill, fulfill the desires of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the human spirit and the human spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the spirit, you are not under law. Now, this word spirit could mean either one. 
I think he's still talking about the born-again recreated human spirit, but it could also be the Holy Spirit because he's always going to lead you in line with the principles, kingdom principles that are outlined in the Scripture. He's always going to lead you according to the things that God has placed within you at the new birth. But he's still talking about the contrast between the spirit, human spirit, and the flesh. So if you be led of the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. So it's not a complete list that Paul's giving us. He's saying anything like this. He's not trying to show us that these are the only uh, works of the flesh. He's just trying to say this is the kind of stuff that the flesh wants to do. And such like. Of the which I tell you before as I have also told you in time past. That they which do such things. Follow the desires of the flesh. They that do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now he can't be talking about being saved. Because he's writing to people that are already saved. If he was talking about this being a requirement, overcoming these things as being a requirement for salvation, then he'd have to amend his letter to the Ephesians that we just read in Ephesians 4. And where he said, let him that stole steal no more. He'd have to amend that to say something to this effect. Now those of you that are stealing, you realize that you've given up your salvation, don't you? But instead, he talks about Christians not yielding to the desire of the flesh to do things that are contrary to what their spirit is directing them and and prompting them and trying to influence them to do. So he can't be talking about salvation. Well, if he's not talking about salvation, then what does he mean? Shall not inherit the kingdom of God. He's saying very simply this. He's saying that operating in these works of the flesh, yielding to your flesh, participate in these activities and things like these activities that are mentioned is the way that the devil will keep the will of God from becoming a reality in your life here on the earth even though God wants it and God's provided for it in heaven when you get there he's saying very simply lifestyle wrong lifestyle will keep you out of the blessings of God here won't keep you out of heaven it'll keep heaven out of you here and heaven out of your life here can you see that Well, let's finish the passage. Let's don't leave it on the downside. Verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, literally faithfulness, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. In other words, he's saying, but these are the things, these are the principles that will enable you to inherit the will of God here on the earth. Well, no wonder he had to tell us that it was important for us to master these things because none of those are our natural tendency. Our natural tendencies fall in the works of the flesh list, not the fruit of the spirit list. Now, is this some new concept? Or is this Jesus and Paul by the Holy Ghost telling us what is fulfilled from God's Old Testament plan? Turn back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 11. Deuteronomy chapter 11. I'll start in verse 13. And it shall come to pass if you shall hearken diligently unto my commandments, which I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and all your soul, that I will give you the rain of your land in his due season, the first rain and the latter rain, that thou mayest gather in thy corn and thine wine and thine oil, and I will send grass in the fields for thy cattle that thou mayest eat of the full. In other words, he's saying if you'll follow the word, you can overcome the curse that is upon the world through the entrance of sin and death. If you'll keep the word. And remember, Old Testament was about obedience. New Testament is about fulfilling the commandment of love and following the spirit. But you wind up at the same place, and that is obedience to the word. Take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived, and you turn aside from the word. In other words, there seems to be an indication that the devil will deceive you or attempt to deceive you to keep you from operating in the things that will bring the will of God to pass in your life. 
You know, it's, it's an amazing thing how obvious and how simple that is, but how many people miss it. The things that the devil is trying to get you to do, the things that the devil is trying to influence you to do to satisfy your flesh, the things that your flesh really wants to do are by design operable for the one purpose of keeping the will of God from coming to pass in your life. When you look at it like that, it's not a matter of what I want to do versus what God wants to do. It becomes a matter of here's what the devil is trying to do to rob me of God's blessings. It's you on God's side, not working against him. So he said, take heed to yourselves that you be not deceived. That you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. And then the Lord's wrath be kindled against you and he shut up the heaven. That there be no rain and that the land yield not her fruit. Unless you perish quickly from off the good land which the Lord gives you. So notice he's saying it's God's will for you to have all these blessings and all this abundance. But... If you allow yourself to be pulled away and deceived into not obeying the word, or in our case, that would include not following the spirit of God, the recreated spirit of God within you, the recreated human spirit within you. That even though it's God's will for you to have all these things, you'll miss out. Well, isn't that what Paul was saying? They that do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. It's just New Testament language for the same thing God told them in the old. Therefore, shall you lay up these words in your heart and in your soul and bind them for a sign upon your hand that they may be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall teach them your children, speaking of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down and when thou risest up. Thou shalt write them upon the doorposts of thine house and upon thy gates. Now, I want you to notice something else about this, folks, and that is, God didn't say in the Old Testament or in the New that the important thing is what was preached in church. He said the important thing is what you live at home. There have been studies done by kids that have not followed their parents in their relationship with God, and it always comes back to the same thing. The kids saw one thing out of their parents when they were at church around other Christians. They saw a different thing when they were at home by themselves. And so notice that the Bible instructs you not to talk about them at church or in the synagogues or in the congregations, but to talk about them with your kids at home. Not to write them on the doorpost of the church, but to write them on the doorpost of your house. In other words, show your kids how to live a godly life. Yeah, I thought that'd get a big response. But that's the commandment. You parents think you're going to get by with your kids following God by living for Jesus when you come to church, but living some way different at home? You're kidding yourselves. Your kids will become who you are, not who you pretend to be. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Back to verse 20. And thou shalt write them upon the doorposts of thine house and upon thy gates, that your days may be multiplied. Here's the blessing and benefit of living the word in your everyday life. That your days may be multiplied and the days of your children in the day in the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers to give them as the days of heaven upon the earth. Now, folks, is that not just saying the same thing in an Old Testament manner? about the will of God being done on earth even as it is in heaven? What else would days of heaven on earth be? This is not a new concept. Jesus is not bringing something up that's never been discussed before. He's teaching us the way to obtain it. Verse 22, For if you shall diligently keep all these commandments which I command you to do them, to love the Lord your God and walk in all his ways and to cleave unto them. Then the Lord will drive out all these nations from before you, deal with your enemies for you, and you shall possess greater nations and mightier than yourselves. Every place whereupon the soles of your feet shall tread shall be yours. 
from the wilderness in Lebanon, from the river, the river Euphrates, even unto the uttermost sea, and shall your coast be. There shall no man be able to stand before you, for the Lord your God shall lay the fear of you and the dread of you upon all the land that you tread upon, as he said unto you. Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse, a blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, and a curse if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside out of the way which I command you this day to go after other gods which you have not known. In other words, he's saying it's up to you. God's not in heaven picking winners and losers. He says the same blessing, the same curse is available to everybody. Your call, whether or not your land is going to be a land of plenty. Your enemies will be chased away from the midst of you. It's up to you. It's not up to God. Is that not similar to what Jesus is saying? And I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And you'll have authority to bind in earth what has been bound in heaven and loose on earth what has been loosed in heaven. Is that not a similar way to say it? Isn't he talking about the same thing? Of course he is. Well, then let's go back to Matthew chapter 6 and see what else Jesus says. We finished in verse 15 where he was talking about forgiveness. I'm going to skip over the next three verses because we're not talking about fasting. And pick up in verse 19, Matthew 6, 19. Lay not up for yourselves. He's still talking about the principles that he outlined in, the, in the, what we know of as the Lord's Prayer, really the, the disciples' prayer. He's still talking about the principles that govern this prayer, principles that govern the kingdom of God. He talked about forgiveness. Now he's going to talk about other things. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, what is he talking about? Well, if he's talking about the principles that govern the kingdom of heaven, he's talking about the things that we're going to have to train ourselves in order to master that are different from the way the world looks at things. Now, the world's way of things of doing things when it comes to finances and money is to get all you can and to hide it somewhere where nobody can get to it. That used to be the banks. We're not sure about that as the days are going by. But notice what Jesus said. Jesus said, the principle that governs the kingdom of God... We've already seen that God wants to bless us. We've already seen that God promised if we'd keep his word, that he'd give us land, uh, rain to, for our land to produce and abundance and so forth, that there'd be like days of heaven on the earth. But now he's saying, don't put money first. Don't put material things first. Instead of laying up treasures for yourself here, lay up treasures in heaven. Well, that's a different concept. We call that Giving. He's saying the key to abundance, the key to to unlocking the principles that govern the kingdom of heaven, which we've already seen that God wants us to have plenty. He said that comes down to giving, not hoarding. Why? Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. It's foolish for us to say that we put God first so that we love God more than anything else if we're not giving God our time, and our, uh, our time, our attention, and our finances. Now, folks, I'm not trying to go for a bigger offering here. You folks are givers. You've been taught well. You've hearkened to the word of God. You are giving church. We don't have a whole lot of guest ministers in for a couple of reasons. One of them is... You are such big givers. We have people in that we can trust. They won't go out and tell everybody, you ought to go to this church. They give big offerings. You'd be surprised how much of that there is out in the ministry. But it comes down to attention. It comes down to priorities. It comes down to what we put first in our lives. That's the point Jesus is trying to make. So he says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. Then he talks about this concept of being single-minded. The light of the body is the eye. 
If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. Remember in James chapter 1, he said, A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. He's talking about a man that's divided between the things of God on one hand and the things of the earth on the other hand. That's what Jesus is saying when he talks about the eye being single. He said, focus your attention on one and only one thing. And he tells us to focus our attention on heavenly things or the things of God. But if thine eye be evil, in other words, double-minded, or focused on the things of the earth, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? He's talking about deception. There are a lot of Christians that think they're sold out to God that aren't. And what great darkness they're in. No man can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in mammon. Now, mammon is just a representation of the spirit of the world, the things of the flesh that drive us toward material possessions and goods and so forth. Now, if material possessions and good were evil, then God would be evil by promising them as a result of putting his word first. It's not the things that are evil. What's evil is putting those things first in your life. I hope you can see that distinction. It's a big difference between the two. God wants you to have stuff. He just doesn't want stuff to have you. Therefore, I say unto you, because these things are true, because he's telling us to focus our attention on God and God alone. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Now, folks, you know as well as I do that this is going to take some training, some retraining. Because the default position, once sin and and death came in onto the scene, came upon mankind. The default position is for us to pursue material things in our own well-being. Yet Jesus is saying that the kingdom principle is, don't worry about yourself. Well, that's a whole lot easier said than done. (coughs) Excuse me. But it can be done and it must be done. And that's what Jesus is telling us about the kingdom of God. Remember, that's where this all started. The Lord's prayer was about praying for the kingdom of God to come. So he says, therefore, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink. Then he gives us some examples. Verse 26, behold the fowls of the air. They don't sow, they don't work, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? Now, he's talking about your value to God. He's saying God cares more about you than he does the birds of the air. And they don't put anything back. They don't even have IRAs. But God takes care of them. That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with the things that we do, saving and stuff like that. I believe we should. I like what Smith Wigglesworth said about the subject. He said, make all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. I think that's a good balance. But Jesus is trying to make the point. You're the most valuable thing that God has ever created. If he takes care of the birds of the air, what makes you think he won't take care of you? Then he talks about the grass of the field. Or I'm sorry, I skipped a verse. Verse 27, this may be the most important thing of all. He said, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit to a stature? I'll paraphrase that and say, what good does worry do anyway? Can you change anything by worrying? Well, then why in the world do we occupy ourselves with worry? I mean, if worry worked, it'd be worth doing. But it just doesn't work. And why take you thought for the raiment? For raiment, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin, and yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? I like one thing that uh, I heard Charles Cops say about this verse of Scripture. He said, God leaves and clothes people of little faith. I never looked at that verse that way. But here's what he is saying. And boy, I wish we could 
Get this settled in our heart. God made the grass of the field here on the earth as decoration. That's not what he made you to be. You're not decoration for the earth. You are made to have dominion on the earth. You are the one for whom the decoration was made. God didn't decorate the earth for himself. He decorated it for you. That's the value you have in his eyes. And if we would get uh, an understanding, get a handle on that, we'd stop a lot of the worry that we do about the things of life and the necessities of life. God knows what you need. He'll take care of you. You know what your kids need, don't you? You don't expect them to beg at the table every morning for breakfast, even though they may. (laughs) You know what they need. You'll take care of their needs. You'll see to it. You know what they need better than they know what they need. Would God do less as your heavenly father? That's the point Jesus is making. You're the one that the earth was created for. God didn't need a new place to live. He made it for you and he made it for me. Therefore, because these things are true, verse 31, therefore take no thought saying... Now, there's the key. Remember the first principle that we talked about that governs the kingdom of God is faith. God looked into the chaos of the earth and the darkness and he said, let there be light. He spoke purposeful words. He spoke faith-filled words according to what he wished and desired and wanted things to be, not according to the way that they were. So he said, take therefore no thought, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? We're not supposed to ask what are we going to eat or what are we going to drink or what are we going to be clothed with? What are we supposed to say? Well, if we're going to master the principles of the kingdom of God, we're going to say food be. Clothing be. I know we don't talk like that. But we'll talk about abundance. We'll talk about plenty. We'll talk about what we have. We'll talk about what our faith will produce for us. And not what we don't have. Too many people are talking about things the way that they are. Rather than the things the way that they want them to be. Things the way the Bible says they can be. And the more you talk about how things are. The more it increases. In the way that they're going. Because your faith works in both areas. Both positive and negative. Both for you and against you. Therefore take no thought saying. What shall we eat? He didn't say it's wrong to think about these things. He said, but don't let them come out of your mouth. That's when they carry power. Take no thought saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. Now, the word Gentile here means those outside of Israel. But more specifically for our discussion, it means those outside the kingdom of God. In other words, he's saying this is the way the people of the world talk. Don't be like them. Well, that's going to take some retraining too. We've got to train ourselves to speak according to what we believe and not according to what we see. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first. This goes back to his statement about being single-minded. Or the light of the body, the light of the eye being, the light of the body being the eye and making your eye single. He's saying, here's what focus your attention on. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. Everybody say things. All these things. Now, he's represented the things of the earth with food and clothing and whatever else. Basic necessities. But those are just representations about all the things that we need. He's not talking about basic uh, subsistence or things that keep you alive he's talking about the things of the earth that you need and it even expands to your wants according to other scripture he knows what you need he knows where you're at you put the things of god first and he'll add all these things to you what we saw in deuteronomy that these things include abundance and your field producing and having days of heaven on the earth I don't consider days of heaven on the earth just having barely enough to get by on. Do you? 
That's not the way it's going to be in heaven. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now turn with me over to Luke chapter 12. Let me close with this. This is Luke's account of the same example where Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray and talking about the grass of the field and so forth. Let me back up and get this in context. We'll go back to verse 29. And seek not what... Seek not ye what you shall eat or what you shall drink, neither shall be ye of doubtful mind. For after all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knows that you have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now verse 32 is what I want you to see that Luke added by the Holy Ghost. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, if the kingdom of God is defined as Jesus said that it was, where the will of God was done in the earth even as it is in heaven, then it's very simply saying it's the will of God. God wants, that would be his will. What God wants is his will, isn't it? God wants his will to be done in your life here on the earth just like it is in heaven where there's nothing that can hurt you, there's nothing that can harm you, there's nothing that can hinder you, there's nothing that can hold you back where there's no enemy to deal with, there's no enemy to be concerned about, where you're living above and beyond any and all reach of the enemy in every way whatsoever. That's what the Bible says. If Jesus is telling us the truth, that's what Jesus said is your Father's good pleasure to give you. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So then he talks about action. He said there's action to take since that's true. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not. Well, we know how to lay up treasure in heaven then. It's by giving. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, we're trying to build up treasure here. Well, Jesus is saying build up your treasure in heaven and let God build up your treasure here for you. We're not starting a building program. We're not starting a new special offering, fundraising drive of any type or whatsoever. We're talking about what the Bible says is true. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approaches, neither moth corrupts. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where's your heart? I believe it's in the things of God. But Jesus said very simply, there's a way to tell. Your heart is where your treasure is. Your heart is in the things you put your time into. Your heart is in the things you put your money into. Folks, these are things that God is telling us, not because he's trying to get money out of our hands. God's got golden streets in heaven. He does not need our money. He's teaching us these things and instructing us these things in these things because it's the failure to operate according to these principles that will keep the will of God from coming to pass in our lives. So we should master the principle of faith. We should master the principle of love. We should master the principle of hope. We should master the principle of giving because God wants to bless us beyond anything that we can imagine. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it is your will for us to live a life here on the earth that can be identified or described as days of heaven on earth. Where your will is done in our lives here and now, just like it will be when we get to heaven. Father, if there's anything in our lives that's holding us back, I pray that you would reveal it to each one of us, that we could correct it and change it. We pray, Father, that you would instruct us and lead us by your spirit so that each and every one of us would be single-minded toward the things of God, that we would say only what the Bible says, that we would speak not according to the circumstance, not according to the situations that we find ourselves in, but that we would speak the truth of your word, that we would speak healing when we're attacked with sickness, that we would speak abundance when we're attacked with lack. 
that we would speak love when people do us wrong. That we would forgive and speak forgiveness when we've been hurt. Father, maybe most of all, I pray that we would find our hope in the word of God. And not in the circumstances, not in the world that surrounds us. Your word is so powerful, Father. It can change the image of hopelessness into hopefulness. Your word is so powerful, Father. It can change what is to what Jesus has made for us to be. Father, we surrender ourselves to you. We see Jesus' example where he prayed, not my will, but your will be done in our lives. We don't pray that concerning healing. We don't pray that concerning finances because we know what your will is in those areas. You want us to be abundantly supplied. You want us to walk in health. We pray that according to your plan and purpose for us. We pray that if there's anything that we're holding on to and have failed to surrender it to your will, show us that we can give that up too so that we can say with a clear heart and clear mind, not our will, but your will be done. Father, thank you so much that your will is the same for us whether we're here and you're with us here and now in the earth. Or whether we're with you in heaven. You never change. Your plan is victory. Your will is overcoming for us. Your will is. For us to put the devil underfoot. In every aspect of our lives. We thank you for that father. Strengthen us by your spirit. That we may walk in it. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, let's all stand together. Hallelujah. I hope you're getting something out of this. I am. God's doing some good things with me in this. And I'm just trying to share out of my own heart. There's so much we need to see. I believe we're seeing a little bit. But I'm not going to be satisfied till we see it all. Amen. Say it with me. The Lord is good. And his mercy endures forever. Amen. Well, come on back and be with us tonight for Healing School if you can. God bless you. Have a great day.